0: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here at Vox Media headquarters in New York City, but not for long. We're going to go back in time to a conversation I had last week at South by Southwest with Hollywood producer Jason Blum. He's a great person to talk to. You will like this interview. But first, our now standard request. If you like this podcast, and you do because you're listening to it, tell someone else on Facebook, on Twitter, in person. You can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. It helps us. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to go to Austin. This is a live interview I did at the uh, Vox Media Go Deeper house. that what we called it. The Deep End, the Deep End house. It's a great place. It's a very cool conversation. I talked to Jason Blum a year ago at Code Media just before Get Out came out. We talk about that and what happened sort of after Get Out came out, and just about how to make really interesting, really successful movies for not a lot of money. Um, he's one of the most interesting people I've talked to for this podcast, so I think you'll like it. Enjoy. Hey, guys. I'm Peter Kafka. Thanks for coming to The Deep End by Vox Media. Um, someone can tell you why you should go deeper. It's an important part of Vox Media. I'm going to tell you why you should listen to Jason Blum from Blumhouse. Oh, actually, you guys know who Jason Blum is, right? That's why you're here. You're not here to see me? Okay, good. Um, Jason Blum makes awesome movies. He makes a lot of movies. He makes them efficiently and cheaply. Um, I think everyone here has seen Get Out. Okay, so that's enough intro. Let's bring Jason Blum on and we'll chat with him. Come on, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hello. Thanks for coming. Last week was the Oscars. This week is South by. What's more fun?
1: Uh, <laughs> that's not fair. We had this conversation backstage, and now um, the, the the South by is, is 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 less stressful than the Oscars. The Oscars are certainly more stressful.
0: But the, uh, by the way, you're here to promote your next set of movies, right? The Get Out phase we have, is over. Everyone's seen Get Out. We
1: have, we have, we have, out. Two, we have uh, two movies here. We have. Uh, Unfriended Dark Web, which premiered last night at it's midnight. It's the sequel to Unfriended. Which is, which is basically Unfriended 2, exactly. And then tonight we have this movie called Upgrade, which, uh, which Lee Al, who wrote all the Insidious movies and wrote Saw, directed Insidious 3. It's his first original movie that he's directed. And I'm really proud of both movies, and we're here uh, supporting and promoting them.
0: Cool. Um, I talked to you a little more than a year ago at uh, Code Media. Um, Get Out was not out yet. We showed a preview of it. I, I'm not the only one who had this reaction. Said, so, said, eh, I don't know about that movie. It seems fine. Not sold. Not sold. So that, that's a, literally a few weeks before it came out. Did you know what you
1: had with Get no, Out? No, you never know. You, when a movie touches a cultural nerve like that, you know, the only... I, <laughs> I actually shouldn't say that. I always say with Paranormal Activity... Oren knew because Oren would always say the movie's going to be. And obviously, you want the director you're working with to think that he's got magic in a bottle. And every director always thinks they have magic in a bottle. So that part that, that but, the but director, to be clear, and we'll, we'll talk about your other model, people don't know. But
0: you, I mean, we'll talk about your model a little bit. But but one of the parts is you test these things, right? You're not just. Because a lot of movies you don't even bother to release, right? If they have to score a certain audience score. We
1: release them in a... I wouldn't say don't bother to release. We just release them in a different way. They do not go to theaters. They don't go wide to theaters. Right. They don't go to a lot of theaters. So at what point with Get Out do you go, oh, this is a thing? Right. Well, not at the test. Get Out tested like B plus, A minus. It It wasn't... The scores of Get Out were not off the charts. We've had a lot of movies test higher than Get Out. The point that you're asking about was the second weekend of release. So the, the, it opened. It had a great open. It opened last Oscars uh, over the Oscar weekend. So it's been over a year since it opened. And uh, the opening was very solid, but not incredible. But the second weekend is when we knew we had something we, it's when we knew we had something that was going to touch a nerve everywhere around the. And place. what are you looking at? Are you looking at you're numbers? You're looking at the you're looking drop, at social? the gross, the drop, and it dropped only about twenty, less than twenty percent, and a great drop, especially for a genre movie, is fifty percent. So when the movie dropped twenty percent, we knew it was going to be a, a great fun ride.
0: So Universal's your distributor. So at the point where you realize, oh wow, this is a hit, is there anything else you can do, or
1: you've already done your work at that point? Well, you can talk about an, immediately about an Academy campaign. <laughs> yeah.
0: Were you, did um, you have to
1: push Universal for that? Uh, Sounds like a maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think it was... It was we, we didn't really... I mean, to, in fairness, we didn't think about the Academy campaign the second weekend of release, but after the story started coming out, after a month or six weeks into it, we definitely... But I definitely felt like we had a shot at that, and so we started thinking about it early. The tricky thing about an Academy campaign in March is you can't really—if anyone actually thinks you're thinking about an Academy campaign for a four million dollar, five, four and a half million dollar horror movie that was released in February, you immediately get shut down, right? It's like shut up with you, and you're—that's never happening. So you have to do like a covert ops Academy campaign.
0: And when did that pick up as a? Actually, Get Out could really win an Oscar. This could actually happen.
1: Well, I don't think that happened till way late, till till October, November. But the yeah. campaign started. We had little events, like we we would we did an event around the home video release, the digital release of the movie, which was March, April, May ish, like about three or four months after the, the theatrical release. And we had a kind of a big party for that, and we invited people that wouldn't normally come to that. We brought the cast. We brought Jordan. And that definitely made people think, like, huh, maybe this movie will have a longer life than just this the normal, traditional windows of the release of the movie.
0: Well, you talk, I was asking you what was it like to sit at the Oscars? And you said, well, I tweeted, so we can go back and review your tweets. What are the things you wanted to tweet but didn't tweet, just between us and the <laughs> internet here? Um, what is that experience like, to sit there with a realistic chance of winning Best Picture?
1: Well, well I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, exactly what it's like. So, um uh in truth the only thing you're thinking about or anyone in my position is thinking about is the speech uh that you that you may or may not give you have to convince yourself that you're going to give the speech so in your mind or in my mind i've like played out the whole thing where i'm gonna walk where i'm gonna stand, how the microphone's gonna be like you you have to imagine doing it because you're you're so nervous that you can't think, oh, I'm not gonna win because then you're not gonna be prepared. So in order to prepare, so I, my poor wife, every time there was a commercial break, we'd go outside and I'd run through the speech with her. So actually by the time the award is called, I've won in my head. So people say, are you surprised that you lost? I'm like, I'm like I mean, surprised, I couldn't, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I had already won. So I tw- I, I, recorded I, and I practiced the speech five days billion times even before the Academy Awards and I recorded it. I held a soap like this and that was my Oscar and I recorded a little video of me giving the speech you like that. You showed on me on your iPhone. It looks great. Just, you should share it. I just showed it's it. It's a good speech. I, I want to tweet the speech but I think it's obnoxious. Someone said if you thank Guillermo and then tweet it but I still think it's pretty obnoxious to give your Oscar speech that you didn't get to give because you lost. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I sent it to a lot of people so a lot of my friends saw it. <laughs> so,
0: so Get Out is this surprise hit, giant hit Really important culturally. It was, I might have this wrong, but I don't think it was your biggest movie last year, right? It wasn't our biggest movie.
1: Split was our biggest. Split did uh, 280 Split. and Get Out did 250. So who's seen Split? <laughs> All right. Well, wait. too And see. then everyone's seen Get Out, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's
0: half the room, but it grossed more. What does that say about the movie business or audiences that, that the movie with more cultural resonance didn't gross as much as the one... Well, that's the world we live in. We that's know that. I mean, in.
1: look, every other Best Picture nomination didn't make and They never... No one ever... They didn't even... They didn't do any business uh, except uh, Dunkirk. Um, but let me go back to the Oscars yeah. for one second. So one of the things that I would share with you guys to your question before about the Oscars, which is like a complicated thing, is everyone says, like, congratulations, it's so great, get out, got four nominations, Jordan won Best Screenplay, he got an Oscar. And so... You on one level you kind of have to like, you have to pretend that that feels so great, which of course it does feel great. Should but feel pretty good. It does, but we also you have to acknowledge the fact that we personally lost. So so and you can't. You sound like such a baby if you're like oh you know it's great Jordan won but we lost. You sound like such a spoiled jerk. But but to answer your question. That's what's going on in my head. <laughs> this is why it's fun to talk to
0: Jason. We're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We're back in a minute with Jason Blum. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe, the fastest growing home security company in the nation. They're now protecting more than 2 million people. And here's some exciting news Simply Safe has just released a brand new home security system, it's completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages. Down Wi Fi, cut landlines, bats, that's scary, hammers, everything in between. The all new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible. With powerful sensors so small, you'll hardly notice them. But you know who will notice them? Intruders. Simpli Safe has spent years building the system and they've added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price they've always offered. That's 24 seven protection for only $15 a month and there is zero contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they've built before and supply is very limited. So get yours now. Go to simplysafecom media now to order. That's S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash media to protect your home and family today. SimplySafe.com slash media. I do want to ask you a little bit more about Split. Split. Yeah, yeah, just because I I said before we came on stage, which of your movies should I see in advance of of seeing because I'd seen Whiplash and I'd seen Get Out, but I don't see a lot of horror movies. What should I see? You made me a personalized list. Yes, I I don't know how personalized it was, but I'm very happy.
1: It was was
0: Split. Right. Um, It was Purge Anarchy. The gift purge anarchy. Right. Happy Death Day. Right. Paranormal Activity 3. Three, that was the best one. All right, so I'm, I, got to, I got to three of them. <laughs> um, but I did not, I, I remember, because I remember that we talked about the fact that you were doing an M. Night movie, and that was going to be the big movie, but it came, in, in my world, it came and went. No one, no one I know has ever talked to me about that movie. Everyone talked. Yeah, everyone has talked about, about Get, Out. Get Out. Right,
1: right, right. Um, but Split made more money, is your point.
0: But, but, yeah, but, but, but that is your model, by the way, right, is movies like Split that may not have giant cultural resonance. Like, you're not trying to win Oscars, normally. You're trying no, to make no. movies for a price that do well in the yeah, box office. Yeah, and we got,
1: I got asked about that a lot. Like, now that the movie, and we did Whiplash, too, and now that yep. the movie got like, are you going to try and make, and that is, uh, I feel that more than ever, <laughs> that, that we're, not, we're definitely not trying to make movies that, that win Oscars. Now, in the same breath, I would say, when we make a movie and it gets recognized by the awards or Oscars, that's a great feeling, but we are not retrofitting movies to win Oscars, No.
0: So the model is, and we've talked about this before, I think a bunch of people know this, so we won't belabor it, you make movies generally for less than $5 million. Right. Um, some of them go to th- the theaters, some of them don't, and you generally you feel even the ones that don't, you can recoup your money through international sales, through iTunes. So even worst case scenario, you don't lose money on a movie. Yeah. And then you get a lot of upside if you have a giant hit. Yeah. Um, generally, horror suspense. Generally, yes, yeah, genre, Exactly. I've been thinking about this since we talked last year, um, and we talked about it on stage as well, but I, I'm still confused. You're really good at what you do, but this model also seems like a pretty straightforward model. Make movies that only cost X, some of them will do really well, you'll make money. Why aren't other people trying to do what you do?
1: We did a um, Harvard Business School, is doing a, they do these case studies, and they're doing a Blumhouse case study which I'm very proud of. And they have to, as part of the case study, they have to talk to the employees at the company, the, the senior management at Blumhouse. And, one of the, and I get to edit it after, I, I just read a recent draft of it, and one of the person, one of the most senior people of the company, who, who will re- remain uh, unnamed at the moment, said in the thing, they so said, this model seems replicable. Like, why don't, why don't people replicate it? And his answer was, yeah, I don't know. It really isn't so, it re- it's not rocket science. Okay, so I'm not the, I'm not the <laughs> I'm only like, idiot saying yeah, it. thank I, you. I crossed that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the biggest reason it's not, uh, it's not replicated is because Hollywood is totally connected to ego, and ego does not allow for low budget movies so it's they're not cool like 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 if you if you have and this is i think it's a real shame it's good for our business but it's bad for movies it's bad for the movies that we get to all see that there's this connection and it's it's so tied into the dna of hollywood especially at the representation level agents lawyers managers but also at the artists and the st- Everyone cannot disassociate the notion of if I have a hit, I should make more expensive movies or more money is better. And and that sounds so um, silly and simple. But the longer that I've done this, I used to say maybe it's uh, no question. That's why it's like it's like the idea that you have a company that makes get out and you're not going to go make more expensive movies or the idea that you have a company that makes as many hits as you have and like, don't you want to make a hundred million dollar movie? Don't you want to? And, and, and I, 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 I don't wanna do that, not for so many reasons. We obviously have the ability to make expensive movies, but I don't wanna do it because I do believe that they're just not as fun. They're just, they're just the risk is so high. You, you second guess every decision. Every decision has to be run by a committee. When you make low budget movies, you can move. And you might be right or you might be wrong, but you can make, we make a lot of movies. The reason we make a lot of movies is because they're all very inexpensive. And, and, and to answer your question, that, I think there are other reasons, which I don't know how much time I want to take up on this question, but the biggest reason is what I just described. I, so we can spend a little more time on it. I'm assuming
0: okay. that one of the reasons that... You know, the, I get why a Disney doesn't do this, right? Because in, in the very big studios, their business model is spending a couple hundred million dollars on movies that we make a billion dollars, and that's, and that's we, we are so big that we need to have giant outsized hits to move the needle. But I would think someone else who's a, like Jason Blum, who considers himself a, you know, idiosyncratic, or someone from the internet world will go, oh, I like this approach. It's counterintuitive. I don't need to hang out in Hollywood, but I do want to fund a lot of movies. You would think somebody else would have tried this by now.
1: Well, I could go through the individual ones. So the studios don't do it because they're not built to make low budget. They're built, they're the best, still the best distribution in the world is done by studios, but they're not, they're, they're, it's impossible for that. The machinery is built for these big things. Impossible. The streamers eventually may, but right now um, the streamers are overpaying talent to compete. And so if you're going to do a low-budget movie, you're definitely not doing a low-budget movie for Netflix because there's no. They're, they're, the reason people are working for Netflix right now is, I mean, Ted wouldn't like it if I said this, but right now is because they're, they're paying an enormous amount of money to these people up front. Um, um, so streamers may eventually do it, but right now they they're, there's also the upside to our low budget movies is they get a big theatrical release and, and Netflix doesn't do that. Right. And, and, and the other streamers don't really do that either. Um, so the, so that's, that's another reason. There's another reason, there's another thing that you were just saying. Oh, and, and then in terms of individuals, I do really think it's what I said. There are a lot of people who make low-budget movies, but that's in between the tentpole that they're trying to get going. And it's very different, as you know, when your business is solely focused on this one thing as opposed to focused on it as a side business along with this other business. And it's really hard to give up that other business.
0: I was, I was thinking about the streamers and, and the stories that you see about them overpaying. And, and Netflix writes big checks, Amazon writes big checks, Apple is now writing these crazy checks, um, or even HBO, which pays well, is going, oh, we can't we can't keep up with that money. Um, I would assume that filters down to you because part of your pitch to a Jordan Peele is you're going to make this movie at a price, but you're, we're going to give you basic, near-complete freedom to make this movie. And it seems like... Jordan Peele can now go to Netflix, and Netflix will say, you can make a movie for a much bigger price, and you'll still have freedom.
1: If it filters down to us. Yeah. The, 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 the market for talent for artists making TV and movies is super wonky right now, because it's not, it's, it's not correlated to profitability. So it's much, much, much more competitive. The thing that we can still offer is is a, a big theatrical release, which you can't get at any of those other streamers. But yeah, and we can also offer... If your movie hits, you'll do it's much, 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 it's seven times more lucrative to work with us than to work with them. Because we're going to give you a piece of the, of the exactly. profits. Exactly. It's many, many more times. But if your movie doesn't hit, of course, it's much more profitable to work with them.
0: So when you're pitching now, when you're pitching, when the next Because we don't
1: pay up front and they
0: pay up front. Right. So when the next get out comes your way, uh, first of all, is it even coming to you or do you have to go grab it from Netflix, go fight Amazon for it?
1: We, you know, we think about that a lot. We just bought a, a spec on uh, on on Tuesday of this week. We bought another one yesterday. You have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. You 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 do have, Then the fight is easier, but sometimes. But we have to fight for it.
0: And and your sort of ace in the hole is you could be up for an Oscar. We can bring you to the theaters. Um, you're going to get buried in the Netflix queue.
1: Well, yeah, you're ace in the hole See, that's That question is very frustrating. You're ace in the hole. It's like, I'm on the phone with the guy who wrote this script that we bought on Tuesday. And I'm like, I'm explaining. And the script is built for our company. It's the movie. It can be made for low budget. It's genre. Like, it's, I get it. If it's an Oscar movie, I got to fight for my life. Because first of all, we wouldn't be fighting for it. But second of all, we're probably not the company for you. But this movie is like, If I'm on the other end of the phone, who the hell else are you going to talk to? But I'm still hearing like, well, I like this one, I like this one, and you have to, so I still have to say, look, we did all these things, and this is how we'll take care of you. And like I said, it's easier, but they don't just come in the door.
0: And the flip side, right, is that Amazon and Netflix are buying stuff from you, right? The stuff that you're not sending out theatrically goes to them. Correct.
1: We sell a lot to Netflix, a lot to Amazon. We actually, funnily enough, premiering a movie uh, that we we did the live-action, new live-action version of Benji. So there hasn't been a Benji movie since the early 2000, 2001, 2002. It's not a horror film. And it's not a horror film. I keep getting asked that. It's not a horror film. I could tell you why we're doing Benji if you want to yeah, hear. Yeah, I do. Okay. The, the so dog lives. The, no, no, no. It's, it's a fully kids' movie, and the premiere is tomorrow in L.A., and it, we sold it to Netflix. And the reason we're doing Benji um, fits to a, a lot of what exactly we're talking about. So the man who invented and came up with Benji is still alive. He's Terry, 79, 80 years old. And in the early 70s, he wrote the script of Benji. He brought it to Hollywood. They laughed him out of town and said, get out of town. And he said, I still believe in this. And he put it's kind of like Paranormal Activity. He put up his own money, made the Benji movie, brought the Benji movie to Hollywood. Everyone did exactly the same thing as Paranormal Activity, laughed him out of town on the finished movie. He went back and he distributed the movie himself. The movie was like the paranormal activity of 1972. It was in theatrical release for a year. It did like $36 million, which today is $200 million, or whatever the hell it is. And um, the family went on to make many more Benji movies and a Benji TV series. And uh, they, they he had a son named Brandon Camp, who's my age. And Brandon came into my office two years ago and said, told me that story and said, I want to write and direct the Benji movie, but I, wa- I want to do it 100% on my terms. I want to, I my family understands who Benji is. My family understands how to make this movie. When I go to other places, they tell me Benji has to talk now or Benji has to do this, Benji has to do that. We know what Benji has to do, and we know you'll protect Benji. And we, and we, and we it sounds so funny. And uh, and And we did. And we did, and we did. And we made a pure Benji movie, exactly like he wanted to make. I'm very proud of it. It has nothing to do with being scary, but everything to do. But everything to do with, we have two brands. We have our consumer-facing brand, which is Scary Movies. We have our industry-facing brand, which is we protect the artist. And in this case, the artist was Brandon and Benji. And we gave him total freedom to work within a limited parameter to do exactly what he wanted to do with Benji, which a studio wouldn't have let him do. And that movie we sold to Netflix, and we had to make a decision. Uh, is it better as a theatrical or better as a Netflix movie? We could have gone either way, and in that case, we chose Netflix because that's where kids are, in my opinion, that's where kids are watching movies, and I, it remains to be seen whether or not we made the right choice or not, but I, my gut is that we absolutely did, and I'll let you know next time we talk if we did or not. All
0: right, we'll talk, we'll talk another year. Um, I, d- yeah. How do you decide when you want to branch out? Like you, you make scary movies, right? That's what you're good at. It's what you make the most of. You occasionally take bets like a Benji or a Whiplash, right? How do you decide we're going to break out of that mold here? We feel comfortable making that bet.
1: Because you can do it all the time, right? We don't know. We don't. I, I, and again, you may say I'm rationalizing, but to me, we're making a low budget version of Benji. We're giving all the creative control to the people who created Benji. And that, that is a Blumhouse movie. Again, consumer, uh, industry way, not consumer-wise, right. right? Whiplash, to me, even the content of Whiplash. I mean, if there's such thing as a Sundance or independent version of a scary movie, Whiplash certainly... Whiplash is very scary.
0: Yeah, it's super and the way,
1: the way that I define, the way that I define, especially on the television side, we haven't talked about that, but we have a, a big... TV company, and we make a lot of television. And that the way that we describe the TV company is um, things that things that scare us. So we're doing a scripted series on Roger Ailes. Now he scares me, so he fits in our in our television brand. So that's kind of how we the 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 that's how we kind of define what we do. And I really feel like Benji and Whiplash fit in very much to the DNA of the company.
0: There's this constant discussion in Hollywood, and then branches into tech about going to see movies in theaters and are, are we going to continue doing that and why don't we get to see movies the same day and date they're released in the theaters at home? Um, there was a lot of movement toward it recently and then it seems like that's stopped now because Disney's buying everything and Disney wants to put their movies in theaters. Um, how do you feel about the theater-going experience versus watching at home, right? Ideally, you want people to see it in the theater, right? The, the movies you well, are I, most I,
1: excited about, you put in the theaters. Well, I'm glad you asked. I have a very specific feeling about this. It happened, you could say, Windows, it happened. Will Smith is doing TV movies on Netflix. So in my opinion, we in the movie business kind of missed the boat. We seceded control to the people who don't have deals with exhibition. And Netflix is making 50 theatrical movies a year that aren't going theatrically. So this idea that we had, we, Windows were going to collapse and they didn't and we held our ground, it's a myth.
0: Do you think it's, it's a done it's a, deal? It's
1: not. It's not. A, it's not. a. That's not my opinion. Netflix is making $100 million movies starring Will Smith that are playing on television. So while we couldn't figure out a, an agreement to let people do what they wanted to do, Netflix said, you guys keep fighting. We're going to give the consumer what they want, and we're going to give them movies at home. And, I mean, I really disagree with filmmakers telling the audience they have to see a movie in a movie theater, and I think it hurt. What that did, in my opinion, is make television series much more culturally relevant than movies. It gave television the leg up, and it gave the streamers the leg up. And I, 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 I think the notion in 2018 or 19 of telling the consumer where they're telling an 18-year-old where he should see what you made is preposterous.
0: So Netflix is spending a lot of money on movies. They're hiring Brad Pitt. They're hiring Will Smith. But they haven't had uh, Orange is the New Black. They haven't had uh, House of Cards. They haven't had a big sort of cultural hit. They'll tell you that lots of people saw, or I guess Nielsen will tell you lots of people saw Bright. That's a, why do you think they struggle
1: with movies? They just started. Just give it's them a chance. For them in 12 months, they're going to have that movie. It takes time. Yeah. We, it, movies, you, you, you get to the get-outs or the culturals or the hits. You have to have a slate. And, and in six months, they're going to have it. In six and, or 12 months, they're going, to have a, they're going to have definitely the movie equivalent of Orange is the New Black or House of Cards on Netflix, for sure.
0: I thought you were going to tell me, look, there are some kinds of movies, especially the kinds that you do, that work better when they work in a theater. It's a shared experience, and then Get Out it was a much bigger hit because people saw it in the theater with other people, and they reacted to it. And there's this special alchemy there that you don't get on your couch or your phone. That's true.
1: Okay, good. It's uh, completely... a good podcast. I just talked. No, to myself. no, no, no. That that is that is a. I don't think one one happens at the exclusion of. Some, I'm not saying you have to tell the tell the kid you have to watch it yeah. at home. You can watch it in the movie theater or you can watch it at home. I, I think that's what I'm saying. I don't I listen, my entire business is built on theatrical exhibition. Totally. And that's how our movies are monetized way more than any ancillary streaming, anything else. I think it's a vital part of the ecosystem of the movie business. But I think it's a shame that we, you know, all of us couldn't figure out an agreement because what it did is give the advantage to all the streamers, even more, they have a financial advantage and now they have a a business model advantage. So just
0: the, the horse has left the barn. The train is it out left. Of the station. It,
1: le- it The horse is gone. Yeah. The what horse happens is to, gone. What
0: happens to Get Out or Split if you release them in theaters and you could stream at the same time? Are they more successful? Less successful?
1: Right now, they're less successful because that's that would be a one-off. But if there had been, if there was an agreement across, if Split was treated the same way as Avengers, and I don't know what the right outcome. I don't know if it's three weeks in a theater and then at home. It's certainly not three months or four months. I don't know what the right, perfect model is, and we'd have to play with it, but you'd have to play with it collectively, not in one-offs. It's been tried in one-off, it doesn't work. I mean, they tried it with the, you know, Universal, people have tried it in one-offs. You have to kind of get together and make an agreement that isn't, that's legal, and, uh, and then you'd have to play with what the model is. But the model as it is now just gave give streamers yeah. a huge advantage.
0: Um, back to the Oscars, you were there You saw Frances McDormand give her speech um, did, When she said inclusion rider, did you know what she meant?
1: I had no idea, but okay. I'm all for it
0: so, Okay, so the rest of us were all googling Inclusion rider, you, you figured out what it meant Is that realistic?
1: An inclusion rider? I think it's realistic yes. I think it's realistic, absolutely I actually think it's a good idea Do you think your talent will be asking for it? If a director asked me to, for an inclusion They're the one who has to do all the hiring So if a director asked me for an inclusion rider We would do it in a second
0: and what do you think about J.J. Uh, Abrams has a different version of this, where he says all our stuff has to have some level of diversity in production and casting, and, and we're going to try to at, at least at least for the I'll let him speak for himself, but he's got it sort of mandated built into Bad Robot from here on. I out. don't.
1: I think actions speak louder than words. I, I'm not familiar with enough with J.J.'s uh-huh. the output, but our movies, first of all, our company is 50 percent women, and our movie, and if you look at our movies, they're very very focused on minorities and women in a, in a profound way. And I think actions speak louder than words. So look at the people's work as opposed to mandates for us. But I do, think if, I do think Ryan Murphy has a bigger company than us. His mandate that he gave, I think it's spectacular. You spent five years at the Weinsteins? I spent three. He keeps growing. He keeps I, growing. <laughs> I, How many? Spent, uh, I spent years. about three and a half years.
0: Um, so in the last year, all the, all the stories um, have you th- rethought either what you did then and or or how you want to behave and how you want your company to behave going forward in, in yeah the light of that I don't experience? think anyone
1: running a company in entertainment has not rethought the way their company has to behave. i mean if you if they're saying they haven't, they're not telling the truth. Um, and yes, we have, and we've we've concretely done a bunch of things to address our thinking on it. And, um, and, you know, happily, you know, we haven't had any incidents at the company, but I think everyone is super mindful of it. And I think that's a very, very positive change.
0: I was reading it was a Maureen Dowd article where you said you don't, you don't meet with actresses without someone else in the room. Was that, did that predate the Weinstein stuff? The, the scene yeah, re- reporting pred- from last was, year? and
1: that wasn't about it. Became it got. To, I don't. I don't like to meet an actress. When I meet an actress, I don't like to meet them alone in the room. Now I sound like Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but I. I really do. I don't do that for me two reasons. I do that because I have found over the years that it's more. true, It's really more true. I don't discriminately like this, but it's certainly more true of younger actresses than actresses who've been doing it a while. But a younger actress who feels like they have to perform and feels like they have to impress, it's a very awkward thing for an actress to walk into your office on a general meeting because the actress is saying, see how great I am or see how pretty I am or whatever, it's awkward. And you can look, when I'm looking at the actress who's 23 years old sitting there, they look uncomfortable. And as soon as you put another person, we have a woman named Terry Taylor who casts all our movies and, and I found years ago, if I would bring Terry into the room, we'd just have a much more productive meeting. So when you
0: say it's not a Me Too thing, it's not you protecting yourself from a lawsuit or from accidentally harassing someone. It's, it, but it is a Me Too thing, but it's about addressing a power dynamic, right? There's a, it's about it's addressing... Inherent, it's an inherent actually, imbalance. Well,
1: it's really a business thing. If I'm in my office with an actress, it's because I want to work with her. It's because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in working with her. And we'll have a much more productive conversation about working if there's someone else there. And she feels less pressure and I feel less pressure and it's, I find that it's more productive for commercial reasons, which is what I'm having the meeting for in the first place.
0: Um, Benji's coming out. What, do you, what else are you extraordinarily excited about this year?
1: I'm um, really, uh, so So our movies this year, we have Truth or Dare, which comes out Friday the 13th, my favorite day of the year. Sometimes there are two on the uh, year, so I'm very, I always like to have a movie on Friday the 13th. Um, Happy Death Day was Friday the 13th in October. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, um, I hate the word excited, proud of, um, um, eager for the world to see the movies that we're here with. Unfriended Dark Web and... Uh, and Upgrade, um, which we're screening tonight, and which, midnight. like I talked, uh, Midnight. Lee L is this incredible writer. He's written so many great movies, a lot of them with us. He directed Insidious 3. I felt like he never got enough credit as the director of Insidious 3. He did such a good to job on I it. Right oh, we, oh, he's right here. Buddy, you're here. Hi, Lee L, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Here he is. Uh, I didn't. I didn't he, poor Lee is sitting through me, my garbage. Thank God I didn't see you. Um, anyway, I think he's an extraordinarily talented director, and he really gets to show that in in this movie upgrade. So I'm really, really psyched. So I hope all of you see it here either tonight or at the, at the subsequent screenings. Um, and then, very, uh, very happy about the new Purge movie, which we take on a. Uh, a new, a new topic in uh, in purge world. So it's the first purge. It's the first purge that ever existed, uh, and it just took place on Staten Island as a government experiment. Um, and then in the a good uh, Staten Island joke. And then in the uh, and then and then in the fall we have Halloween, which is amazing. Um, so you're remaking? Halloween? It's. To- I, I'm not even quite sure. Whatever I say is wrong, but I'll tell you, it's, Jamie a, Lee Curtis it's a new Halloween it. movie. John Carpenter executive produced, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, David Gordon Green directed it, Danny McBride and David wrote it, and it's awesome. All right, I'm watching.
0: And then you're going to do a, uh, another M. Night movie, right?
1: It's- and then we have Glass, uh, which is the follow-up to Split, so Unbreakable, Split, Glass. And uh, which, is, which is sick. And I, I just saw the trailer for so that. So when you do and a movie
0: like that, right, where you've got a director it's, it's really and it's, good.
1: it's done really well, the budget goes up, right? Sequels, our budgets are never, f- or I shouldn't say never, but almost never five. Sequ- sequels, our budgets are more like 10 and sometimes 15. But you're still holding it to a certain level. Am By I- Hollywood standards, our sequels are still extremely inexpensive, but they're not, the, the rules of our original movies and budgets do not apply to sequels, because sequels uh, the release rules don't apply either. Sequels, we have a release before we start. So we, we know it's going to be a wide release. We have IP that we know works. And, um, and uh, the budgets are higher as a result of that. Okay. That's next year. Glass okay. is the beginning of January, okay. yeah, we'll
0: yeah, yeah. I have more questions, but you guys can ask your own questions for Jason. We're do microphones. We'll do a microphone. We're recording this, so speak up. <laughs> hey, I'm Scott Glosserman from Gather Films. Uh, Going back to the question about why other people aren't replicating your model, um, you talked a lot about ego, and this ties into it, but there's also an economic calculus, a lack of discipline historically. Even the Morgan Stanleys of the world that are lending the money, you typically get a a big star all of a sudden who wants to be in a low-budget movie, and then everybody thinks they can just increase the budget exponentially. So if someone like The Rock wanted to be in one of your low-budget movies... And it changes the economic calculus of the film. Do you pass, or what?
1: How, how have you dealt no, with we, that? We work. We work with John Travolta, with J. Lo, with Ethan Hawke, with Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne. We've We've had a bunch of no one as big as the Rock, but but How we've do had, you How we, do we, you factor them? We in. don't treat them any differently. And we've paid them an enormous amount of money because the movies that, that we've done with all of those people have been very successful, but they get paid exactly the same as everybody else up front, which is scale. And if they if they refuse to do that, we would even The Rock, we wouldn't do it. We just we just we we, we stick to our model no matter what. Look, another part of the another another answer to that question is because Hollywood is so so twisted around with money and budgets there is this thing and people people say yeah roger corman and i love and admire roger corman's work and 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 him i think he's a he's a really he is an exceptional person we our business model and roger corman have nothing to do with one another he was making super low budget movies with kids who were just starting we make super low-budget movies with people who really know what, who are very experienced, really know what they are doing. Possibly their movie, they've done four movies and the last movie they did wasn't a big success. James Wan and Lee had done Saw together and they came in my office and pitched Insidious and, they had, and James had done two movies for Universal that hadn't worked very well. And I think I think Hollywood judges all of us, producers, writers, directors, so much more harshly for their last work, as opposed to their body of work. But we work with people who really know what they're doing, are willing to work for a cut of the profits in exchange for creative freedom. And that goes for all the actors, too, in terms of paying them scale.
0: So- yeah, so, everyone gets it. so they get scaled front and then there's profit sharing when there's a hit. Yeah,
1: and their, their share of the profits depends on what they've gotten in the past. So if you've never ever been paid more than scale on a movie, you're never getting more than scale on one of our movies. But if you've made $5 million on a movie, then we're going to get you, if the movie's very successful, we're going to get you to $5 million. And if it's get out, we're going to get you past $5 million.
0: Is there a fixed percentage that you'll, you'll distribute to talent?
1: No, it varies depending on but, what the so quota of talent is. So the overall pie could be... The overall pie is fixed. Okay, yeah, I okay. get one piece of a very, very generous pie like this, and I dole it out however I want. So I could hire all, all children and keep the pie, or I can work with someone as great as Lee and say we'll split the pie and take thirds off the top. My theory, very un-Hollywood is, I'd rather have a small piece of what I anticipate to be a much bigger pie than a big piece of what I anticipate to be a small pie. Not Hollywood thinking. Most people who had my deal would say, I'm going to keep all of it, and I'm going to hire people who who don't have a lot of history because I don't have to pay them anything. Case in point, sorry to go on on this, the reason why so many horror franchises go south is because there's specific to horror very very specific to horror there's a hit horror movie the producers or the studio or the financiers behind the horror movie say i got a hit let's fire everyone who had anything to do with the hit use the title rehire people we'll keep more of it they do keep more but generally it's diminishing returns that's why most sequels of horror movies get worse and worse and worse and we're i've made a very conscious effort Keep League, the band together. Keep the band together. George James DeMonaco, he wrote and directed Purge One, Purge Two, Purge Three. Now that was very expensive to do, but, um, but every Purge movie has gone up. Insidious Four made more than one, two, or three, and that's because the original people involved with Insidious are still very involved, not only because we like each other, but because they are they're financially incentivized to do that. You give good answers. Other questions? A couple more back here.
0: Hello. Uh, First off, I love your business model because I think too many movies in Hollywood are overly developed, overly stylized. Me too. But I wonder, what's keeping you from going into comedy? Because when I think of successful low-budget comedies, I'm thinking of Caddyshack,
1: Groundhog Day, Super Troopers, Bad News Bears. What's keeping you from branching this business model into comedy? Name a theatrical comedy made for under $5 million in the last 15 years that's made over 50 million dollars at the box office. I can't. That's that's what's keeping me out of comedy. So, so and the reason for that, if you want my theory, it's only my theory, is that low budget comedy cannot compete with movies. There's a great place for low-budget comedy and limited releases and there have been tons of them. Patty Cakes, by the way, although it didn't do business, is a spectacular movie. And the people who put up the money for Patty Cakes did great because Amazon bought it for so much money, even though the movie ultimately didn't make that much money for the at the box office. Um, comedy, my opinion, when you pay your $12 or $8 or $10 for the ticket, you have to have, you you must have The Rock or a huge movie star, you ha- or Kristen Wiig or whoever it is, you to have horror movies actually work better with people who aren't super recognizable. Comedies, I think the the audience wants a person that they know is really funny already in it before they're going to go to the multiplex and buy a ticket. Now that that comedian. Why that comedian gets ten million dollars? or the Rock. I don't know what he gets—a gazillion dollars. Why would he ever work for scale? Would he going to make all of the, all of that up front anyway? So that's why we don't. Do Superbad?
0: Does Superbad fit in that category? Right? There were no giant stars when that was made. Those guys were not. Giant Superbad, stars.
1: I think, it was about a twenty million. It's at amusement so, park. Twenty twenty-five million dollar movie. So yeah. so so. It, Superbad had scope to it, and I also think comedies—you need set pieces, you need scope, and you don't get that for five million bucks. Other questions.
0: You've you said it all. I've needs. answered every question. Everything has been answered. This will be our last question of the day. Uh,
1: so Walt Disney says we don't make movies to make money, but we make movies to make money to make more movies. So the horror genre has some of the highest ROI in film, and uh, and Get Out was pretty you know artistic, critically acclaimed, box office success. So how do you how do you balance the art of making movies with the business of making movies, and where is Blumhouse on that spectrum of? Um, maybe Relativity Media on one end, all the way to Annapurna Productions on, on the other end. What was the last part of the, Where is Blumhouse on the spectrum? Uh, on the spectrum of, let's say Relativity Media is like the ultimate just business model of film, and then Annapurna Productions is kind of like more of an art house. You know, where is Blumhouse on that? How do you kind of balance uh, art and business? Uh, think about it every, every day of every decision we make. The way that I, 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 give a, I give a different answer to this question all the time, which just shows you I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still thinking about it a lot. But I think, I think a, a different way to answer the question is we do low budget movies so that if we see something that we think is going to be great or different, we don't have to think about how much money it's going to make. So, so, so what low budgets allow us to do is respond to stuff that we think is, is interesting and cool Without having to run a model, so that's not to say that um, that that first and foremost we need to have we need to make profitable movies to keep the lights on and keep doing what we're doing because we love doing what we do, but but I also think that one of the reasons the company is successful is we don't run models we don't. They say, oh, it could do this, it could do this, it could do that. Your model is and your model, right? Your model is, worst case model, scenario, we get our money back. Exactly. Our model is, if this doesn't come out great, we're going to recoup and let the upside take care of itself. And so I think that's, that's not exactly how we answer your question. I think Disney's answer is a lot better than mine, but that's because he's Disney. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but we really try as hard as we can to think about it as art and to give ourselves parameters that allow us not to let the business stuff creep into that decision making and then stick really, really firmly and with a ton of discipline to the model that we have. That's 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 the best answer I can give to that.
0: We could do this for another hour, but we won't. All right. Jason, you're Thank great. Thank you guys. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Thanks again to Jason Blum for talking to me in the audience at South by Southwest. That was great. We recorded this at the deep end. It was a very cool space that Vox Media put together with a bunch of sponsors and our audience. You should have been there. You can go next year. Thanks to Andrew Marino for recording this episode, and thanks to you guys for listening. Um, here's my standard request to rate and review, which I put at the top of the show, so you got it. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence13 and Vox Media, who sells those ads so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show, and my producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson. This is Recode Media. Thank you for listening. We will see you soon.